Hello, this is Where Did It All Go Right? Welcome to our final episode of the series. I'm Ali Jones. This is the podcast where I talk to people in creative jobs about the pivotal moments in their careers. I guess it all started when I realised I knew quite a few people who had some great jobs and I thought, how do they get to do the jobs they love? And it's kind of gone from there. We've had a great series and thank you to our brilliant guests for taking the time to talk to me. I have learnt so much. I hope you have too. You can go back and enjoy over the summer maybe some of the guests that you've missed like Adam Buxton, Al Murray, Holly Samus, Claire McIntosh, loads more. Loads of different types of jobs. They're all there waiting for you. Well, what a week it has been for cricket. Did you listen to or did you watch the World Cup final? Uh, For someone who only dips in and out of cricket, I have dipped my toes into the world of cricket big time this week. And I thought, who better to get on our final episode than someone I know who knows his cricket inside and out, Henry Moran. So Henry and I used to work together at the BBC in Oxford and I just had my first baby, had come from commercial radio to the BBC, didn't really know what I was doing. Henry was there, always calm, always brilliant and always helpful. Fast forward a few years and Henry is a reporter, producer and organiser for Test Match Special. I spoke to him two days after England's big win when we were all still buzzing. Well, Henry, thank you so much for popping in to my house when really you were probably still on cloud nine from Sunday because it's only two days after England won the Cricket World Cup. How are you feeling? Are you exhausted? A little bit exhausted. A combination, I think, of exhausted, relieved... Uh, and I think there's just an, a sense of national joy about it all. It's a little bit like 12 months ago when England were in the Football World Cup. And yeah. there was that feeling that everybody was talking about it. And I had lunch yesterday, uh, met my girlfriend for lunch in London. And we're just sitting on some steps outside uh, somewhere in East London and listening to people talking about the cricket. And that's something I'm not really used to because people don't really. It's you know, <laughs> it's, it's just you that's going yeah. on about it normally. And me, me telling people why they should be listening, but but just overhearing people talk about it, and that's almost the most exciting thing because uh, you know, along with winning a major trophy and whatever else, which is great for for any sports team, it's more that a sport has managed to capture the imagination of of the public and sort of infiltrate its way into people's homes. You see the videos doing the rounds on social media. I saw you retweeting that. They were mad. People were going crazy. I mean, we were going crazy in our household, so, but pubs, cricket clubs everywhere. Yeah, and and even my parents who, you know, don't really watch cricket and and they, you know, they said they found found it utterly thrilling and uh, as they sat there at home listening to the, watching the TV on their Bluetooth headphones, which is without question the most eccentric, of all the things (laughs) that they do, the most eccentric thing that they do. I've never heard of that. They're worried about the flat downstairs and being too noisy when they're watching Newsnight, as as if. (laughs) But it does mean when you go round there and they're not expecting visitors and you open the front door and walk in, they've got these soundproofing headphones. So you walk in, there's a sort of complete panic. They think there's a burglar. They think there's a burglar. Do they they talk to each other? No, not really. But they've been married 40 years. Oh, fair enough. What's left to say? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I called my dad last night and my mum said, oh, we can't speak to you because he's re-listening to all the commentary that you guys were doing. And my husband last night was re-listening again. Do you know how many downloads you've had of, of people listening again? I guess, is it too early to say? Well, we know that on the day that... That, it, that the day of the game we have on the BBC Sport website the BBC News website you have the live pages so that'll be on a Saturday afternoon you get the football page which will be the live page and then also the news pages so it might be I don't know general election results or whatever the cricket live page had 40 million just just under 40 million hits on Sunday which is the most any BBC live page has ever had in 
the website's history. That is amazing. Which is extraordinary. And to put in comparison, the British Grand Prix, won by a British driver, had two million hits across the day. And so that sort of gives you a little bit of an idea of of the sort of numbers that we were talking about, Um, which is extraordinary. And is you know, and I think whenever somebody you go to a sport of sporting event or any cultural event, you always feel it's like the centre of the world. You know, even if you're watching a gig at a local bar, and if you sort of feel like that everything's included in the back, but it it was an event where everyone felt that you know you really did feel like everyone in the world was watching, and to an extent, it's true. did you, I was wondering, this whole super over thing, mm. did you ever, did you have a meeting about that before? Did you think, what if it does, or, or did you never even cross your mind? We didn't, it didn't cross our minds because it's so unlikely. Jimmy Anderson, who, who works with us, he was on a podcast this week, I was listening to it uh, on the train today, and he said that and he'll, he, he's played cricket for what, 20 years? He's never been involved in a super over. This is a guy that's taken more wickets for England than anybody else, and to, to take it sort of behind the curtain a little bit what it was like in the commentary box we were scrambling through emails from the ICC <laughs> seeing what the rules were and the regulations were because we because it does change quite a lot and sometimes matches are decided on wickets lost sometimes they're decided on uh, net run rate across a tournament say but we didn't know 100% what the, form, the format was so as Agus was talking we were looking at the back of the commentary box sending holding computer screens in front of him and saying, this is the format, this is what we have to say. Because it was so unlikely and it was so unusual. And and that's not a calm situation, but it no. still sounded incredibly calm, well, apart from the mega excitement. Yeah. So high pressure. Yeah, but I think the joy... I mean, we're, we're very fortunate to work on a programme where we convey a little bit the, the feeling of, of the listener because a lot of the time it is people enjoying each other's company and watching sport and we'll go off on weird tangents talking about this, that and the other and it is more like, it's, it's not so formal I suppose and so the sense of panic and confusion was actually pretty much what everyone was feeling watching it and we, you know, our job is to get it right. We couldn't say England have won, we think. We had to know it. We had to get it right but that, that, but that was just a case of being, you know, going through a PDF file and searching the words super over. Oh my and then and we got through the, and we got to the super over and we thought, okay, so we know there's a super over. And we were sort of, we were confident on that element of it before we got to that point. And normally when you know a match is going to be quite close, you might sort of predict that a few overs out and think, this is what we need to know. But the bit where we were really scrambling was what happens if the scores are level at the end of that. Yeah. And to put into some sort of context how rare an event it is, our scorer, comedian turned statistician Andy Saltzman, he Worked out yesterday that in the history of the game, there's been something like, I think, 38 tied one-day internationals across 4,000 games. And for it to be in a World Cup final would be about a one-in-400-year event. And so that's the sort of territory of unusualness <laughs> we were looking at. And all of this is going on while in the commentary box next to us is a cake that was sent to us by Camilla Parker-Bowles. Oh, I've just seen that. Which, and you couldn't even eat that cake because no. it was so beautiful. Just describe what was, uh, so it what was, was like. Two cricket helmets, one from England, one from New Zealand, miniature versions of the two captains, Owen Morgan and Kane Williamson, on a green sort of fake grass cake base with a little note at the front saying, hope this cake bowls you over, lots of love, Camilla. <laughs> and all the while you're sort of walking around and they think this is the most surreal thing that has ever happened. Just a, a, just a bonkers day, a bonkers yeah. couple of days. Can you just take us back then? So Sunday morning mm. on the day of the final. So what, what time do you get to the ground? So I got to the ground at about quarter past seven ahead of a 10.30 start because 
uh, Five Live Breakfast was coming from the ground. Uh, BBC Breakfast TV was coming from the ground. And uh, the Tail Enders podcast with Greg James from Radio 1 was coming from the ground as well. So there's loads of stuff. And also you want to be there. So I was going to say, were you there to Anorak more to work to start with? Then? Well, we were, we were there to work, but also because you want to be there. It's a World Cup final and, you know, you don't want to miss any of it. Uh, pouring with rain as we arrived. Was it? Absolutely horrible when we got there. And you sort of think, oh, God, you know, not, surely not this. And Jimmy Anderson, who was on the Tailenders podcast, which started at nine. So I was engineering that from the ground. It started at 9 a.m. Uh, five minutes past nine, he ran through the door, having missed his alarm sat down you'd never know it on air he sat down Greg said to him, and Jimmy Anderson's with us starts talking you would never know how can you miss your alarm on such a big day oh, well I know he'd been to he'd been to a Florence and the Machine gig the night before <laughs> and he said he hadn't got back too late I, I, I don't think he did but he just slept through his alarm <laughs> can you imagine if he'd missed it I know of all the days of all of the, all days. the days so you so you're working from early in the morning yeah really long day so you you engineer that and yeah. then what happens so engineer that um, and that's it's because it's it's coming from the ground. Normally they do it from a studio, but we basically set up a commentary position and as if they were going to commentate on the game in a commentary box, but then the line goes back to a studio in London where they're recording the podcast. Uh, from that, we then essentially are getting the programme ready and talking about talking through with Adam, who's the, the head producer at Test Match Special, who I know you used to work with. Yeah, Danny, I could well. tell you a few stories, <laughs> but I won't. Save we'll, that for later. We'll save that for later. But, um, <laughs> so he's, uh, between he and I, we're going through the rotor for the day, and, and it's, it's little things like he, he will be drawing up the rotor that has to fit around the, those people that we're sharing perhaps with television, and and then also working out who, who are the first voices you want on for a World Cup final. Do you yeah. want someone from each team as well? to ensure you've got balance because we're going out in New Zealand as well uh, and Australia um, and so you know that sort of thing you're talking through the plans for the day you're working out what to do during the interval because it could be the case that there's a celebrity at the ground earlier in the tournament there was there was a box at Lords I think during the Australia game that contained uh, the band Muse Ed Sheeran Piers Morgan and Nigel Farage <laughs> which is like the weirdest dinner party you've ever been to isn't it and who do you choose yeah. as a guest <laughs> do you have them all <laughs> exactly right <laughs> Um, and so we're then sort of trying to work out plans for the day and and as much as anything talking through the programme with people making sure everyone's happy has got in the ground okay because it's a World Cup and so act final and so access can be tricky and yeah. you know cues to get in through the security and whatever else but everyone's there on time because the commentators as well because I saw Adam had tweeted about who he'd chosen because yeah. that is really hard because there's you know there's more commentators than spaces absolutely and the, I think it's something that really he finds incredibly difficult and that the, the I'm sure every producer in that position would find very difficult because the biggest match of a generation, who do you choose to do it? Because you have, as you say, in much the same way as a coach picking a sports team yeah. knows they have to pick the right team that, in their mind or the team that, that they think has the right balance. But there's going to be lots of people that are perfectly, would do a brilliant job and were perfectly you know, suited to it, but mm. you just don't have room for it. And that's really hard. Um, I mean, fortunately, the vast majority were there either working for other people or they're as guests mm. and so we're watching on and mm. so yeah but it is really difficult and so you do the planning yeah. and then you're on air and there's no time to think really because you are just it's just you're, you're caught up with the whole momentum I suppose yeah but like you say then you're on the computers working out yeah. this whole super well, and you're, you're doing the twitter and taking photographs and in, in the commentary box and that sort of thing um and then there's a full program going on a sports program because of course it's a huge day of sports there's a men's Wimbledon final there's the Grand Prix and then it, was, it was ridiculous and so there's a whole program going on next door we have three radio stations 
in the small commentary box next door to Test Match Specials. We had five, uh, so what would have been five live sport on five live sports extra, uh, Asian Network and the World Service all coming from a tiny commentary box. Gets um, quite hot and sweaty. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, it being World Cup final day, you know, bizarre things happen, like Sachin Tendulkar, the greatest player that's ever lived the game, <laughs> arguably, sticks his head around the door and says, you're all, all right. right. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. And you have to do a double take. And you, but the one thing that is always sort of, having watched the game back yesterday, um, in between a few other bits and pieces, that is how little of it you actually watch when you're there working. Because you're sort of running around and, and you're grabbing things, you're making sure people know where they're meant to be going, you're ensuring that the commentators have the information that they need, you're... Yeah, you might be called to do a, rep- a quick report for Radio 4 or whatever. And so yeah. you're sort of running around trying to keep an eye on it. But the, what I would say is when we got to the end... You watched that bit. We watched. We all did because it, it got... Well, every, you know, you were sort of glued to it and you couldn't not watch it. And Just wondering what... I mean, it was a ridiculous turn of events, wasn't it? That, you know, it just... One thing happened and you thought, mm. that's incredible. Then something else happened. You're, what? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And, and I, I sort of always am wary of the phrase, oh, you couldn't write it. Because, you know, you can write anything, really. But almost actually, if you did write a sporting a script like that, you wouldn't believe it because it's too ridiculous mm. and it's too bizarre. Mm. And there are, there are so many fluky things that happened that all fell into place that meant England won. Um, but then while there was jubilation in you know, all around the ground and in the commentary box at the winning moment, we had to be very mindful that we're also on air in New Zealand. We also have two commentators that are from New Zealand watching the game. And for them, it's the most heartbreaking thing of all. Mm. And so you can't be too partisan. You can't, and it's not our job to be partisan. It's our job to reflect what is happening. And of course, there's going to be huge excitement, and the noise of the crowd is going to filter through, and everyone's going to be excited. But then you have to be very aware there's people who are equally devastated by what's happened, and that's really, you know, it's a real challenge to get that right. Absolutely. And that's, and that's why the sort of people that do that commentary are geniuses because you have to strike that balance and you don't get a second chance at it you know you can't hit stop and record it again and they make it sound so easy it's it's incredible isn't it it really is and when it was all over did you all just collapse in a heap or were you still all just well there was there was the initial sort of 30 seconds of this is extraordinary and this is amazing and then quite quickly you think okay what's we've now now the work starts in some ways because you have to then get your pitch access bibs on get your radio mics and things that we have to take to go and interview the players on the pitch and then get through the crowd to get onto the outfield. And without question, being you know on the pitch at Lords when you won the World Cup is one of the things you, you can't dream about. It's incredible. But you also know that you've got the, you, the commentary's gone as it should, but actually the reaction of speaking to the England captain and the winning coach and everything else is now a huge job and you have to make sure you get that right. Don't and forget so, to hit record. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and make sure that the kit works and make sure that you've the batteries are charged on the radio mic because if that drops out then it's yeah. a catastrophe yeah. because you're broadcasting to however many million people and you have to make sure it's right and so while you sort of have to try and contain your natural sporting jubilation <laughs> as a fan you actually have to think okay we've really got to focus on this and 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 sure. have you had time to reflect I know it's only been two days but you know you were there working in, in a job that a lot of people would give their everything for mm. thinking looking back to when you were a kid and you were loving sport at school I'm sure yeah. have you had time to think wow I can't believe I did that the, I think the first thing to say is there's never a day even if you're going to a game a uh, county championship match and the forecast is appalling and you know you're not going to see a single ball bowled and it's going to be rubbish you don't think 
I'm the luckiest person to be doing a job where mm. you're going to watch sport, you're going to enjoy sport because, as you say, people you know, people would love the opportunity to to watch sport for for a living and and to be around sport. And so you know, there is there's never a day where all of us don't feel incredibly fortunate. And uh, I, I think that it does when you see amazing moments like that. It does sink. It takes a while to sink in because you're sort of in work mode so much you're not enjoying it as a fan you're not leaping around hugging your mates with beer in your hand you're <laughs> you're sort of running around sort of trying to get it right yeah. and actually and so it, it, it's incredible and it's thrilling but I think the, the the sort of overall feeling that we all had after it was how privileged we were to be able to work in some whatever small way to bring that to people's homes and to bring that to people and bring the good news of, of what had happened to to uh, a country and actually you know around the world yeah. and and that I think is the biggest privilege of all because we you know, we're lucky in the sense that a news program the today program doesn't always bring good news I mean clearly cricket isn't always good news particularly when England play in Australia but <laughs> it is it's a diversion it's it's a pastime mm. and we know that what we're doing most of the time is is bringing joy to people in the sense that they are listening to a sport they're listening to a diversion and we get emails that incredible and uh, my boss Adam sent around an email to the entire team that had worked on the World Cup yesterday that we received earlier in the tournament that the author of which said I don't want this read out I don't want this made public but his story and how he's used these few weeks to cope with awful circumstances in his life actually makes you stop and think you know regardless of the fact that I like cricket and I'm watching cricket and it's great the fact that you can work on something you know is making somebody's life better in any way, shape or form and offering comfort. Mm-hmm. And that is the biggest privilege that we could, any person could wish for because mm-hmm. you, you have a sense that you, whatever it is, you're, you're offering something and you're offering some sort of positivity to somebody's life. And a lot of the time, you know, there'll be people that listen and find it annoying and turn it off. And you accept that because that is the nature of radio. It is, it's, you know, you will, it, it, but sometimes there will be people for whom, you know, all radio can be a lifeline and it can be company and mm. it can be with them at the best times in their life. It can be with them at the worst times of their life. And and that for anybody that works in radio or broadcasting is, you know, the greatest privilege because you are being welcomed into everybody's life. And you'll you'll know it from broadcasting. And Absolutely. It is. And also my, my, my dad is losing his sight. So for him, mm. he loves the cricket because he mm. just sits and he listens all day because mm. it's something that he can really get into and and you know, because he can't read anymore and so for him it's massive mm. so it's it's a brilliant so oh, that is so lovely that you know you, you get all this reaction from people and and particularly on a weekend but you know week in week out you are traveling all over the world and mm. you're doing some amazing things and we've forgotten as well to mention the whole thing that happened what day was it some day last week when you became the star of the show <laughs> with your guitar how did what day was that? Was that in Birmingham? Thursday, that's the World Cup semi-final. Oh yeah, just the semi-final. Just the semi-final. So how did that come about? Uh, slightly bizarrely. So so if anyone doesn't know, you got to play your guitar. Well, not my guitar. Oh, sorry. Crucially. there was So Charles Dagnall and I, who a commentator on Test Match Special, we both... Have a both, bromance. Yeah, total bromance. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, respective girlfriends sort of look at us sort of raising their eyebrows. And just just let them get on with just, it. Just honestly, come on, you guys. We both play a bit of guitar. He plays the bass guitar. I play six-string guitar. And during the World Cup, one of the features that they've had is they've had these cricket bats shaped like guitars. Sorry, guitars shaped like cricket bats. So (laughs) one end is made of a cricket bat, the other end is a guitar. And so whenever a wicket falls, the 
guitar's plugged in and they'll play, I don't know, a bit of ACDC or whatever. Some people absolutely hate it. Some people thought it was good fun and whatever else. And I got an email from a guy at the ICC saying, oh, if you fancy coming along to the Durham, if you're working at the Durham, England, New Zealand match at Durham, come and have a go. And I thought, yeah, why not? I mean, that'd be a right laugh. But I wasn't working on that game. I was working at the Women's Ashes. And so I thought, that's fine. You know, yeah, it only saved me from utter humiliation, so it's probably not a bad thing. But uh, somebody else had another idea? Someone had another idea. He, he, I saw him again at the media centre at Edgbaston. He's like, oh, do you still want to do that? Why don't you do it today? And you still think, okay. And I spoke to someone else. He said, oh, you've got to do it. It'll be really funny. It'll be great. It'll be, you know, you've got to do it because it'll be... It, one, it gives us good content. Yeah, yeah, I, I was <laughs> right. just thinking, as, as you said that, it, he wasn't thinking about you at all. Oh, no. He was thinking about himself and the rest of the team. And the, and the production. Yeah, yeah. Well, always, having a laugh. Always a producer, right? <laughs> and they said, well, come down on second drinks break at one o'clock, because that's a sort of reasonable enough interval. And so I got there, and they said, maybe come a few minutes early so you can, because it's not like a normal guitar, because it's made of a cricket bat. And so you think, okay, well, I'll get there a few minutes early. Just, I need to practice. Right. And so I got there at 10 2 to run down from the Five Live box where we were working, got to the stage in front of the stand, the little stage sort of by the sound booth, and they said, oh yeah, we've brought drinks forward, it's uh, in three balls time. <laughs> and you're thinking, it's one of those moments you think, I should, this has to, I've just got to stop, this can't. This I've can't. got to say no, and they but said, you're in too deep. But you're in too deep, and they say, you know, say, Chris here, who's the stadium announcer, is going to interview you for a couple of minutes, and then it's over to you. <laughs> and I said, well, will there be a backing track or anything not to play along? Is there going to be something easy to play? And I said, no, just just play. And you think, oh, no, this, this is going to be horrible. I mean, this is really going to be one it's of the most like appalling moments of my life. in the front lounge, whatever, with your no. parents watching. This is pretty worldwide. And I think I've seen the video and it's had quite a few yeah. thousand million even views. It's had a few views. Yeah. 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 And but it went well. It was okay. I couldn't hear for the first 10 seconds. Because you're given headphones that are connected to a radio pack or whatever. And I couldn't really hear. So I sort of thought these, hopefully, are sort of vaguely the right notes. And played for, you know, what could have been anything from 10 seconds to 10 minutes. (laughs) You were in the zone. You're in the zone, you know. And it was utterly terrifying. I mean, utterly terrifying. (laughs) Uh, I mean, luckily, they were the, the audience there. And I should say, I've never played in front of an audience ever, ever <laughs> in my life. They were very, they were, they applauded in the right moment. It was brilliant. And it was fine. Has the phone been ringing yet with the, with the record deal? Michael Evis at Glastonbury, I presume he's just taking a week off after yeah. the festival. Yeah, yeah. But Michael, if you're listening, Pyramid Stage, Saturday. <laughs> don't say it. I am available. Because if Daggers hears this, I tell you, you he, know, he'll sort it out. He said, he sent me a text saying, I'm both very proud and also hate you. <laughs> <laughs> so, I've not seen him yet. I'm going to see him tomorrow in Taunton. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if we hear of trouble in Taunton, we yeah, know what's well, going know. on. Wow. So looking back, so for first, from so really, we haven't even had a week since then. No. This this whole last couple of days has been crazy. Yes. It's all been going quite right. It's a good week to talk, get to you on the podcast. So if we go back to the very beginning, mm. before all this, so way back, school time and everything. So you were playing the guitar and loving cricket, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Playing guitar, loving playing sport, and yeah. and, and dreaming of working in sport all that time ago. But I would love to be able to say, oh, you know, I'm doing what I've always dreamed of doing. And I am, but I didn't know it at the time, Okay. if, if that makes any sort of sense. So did you uh, want to do something completely different then? I didn't really know. I, you know, at school, loved sport, loved music, and um, 
And then it's got, you know, as all, I think as most people would always say in this sort of thing, there was opportunity, moments happened that you got lucky. And that, I think that that can never be overstated because I'm sure you will know there were moments that you were there. Yeah, at the right time. But yeah. then I, I think that a lot of people say luck, but you've got to be the right sort of person. So what was a lucky moment for you then? Uh, playing five-a-side football with Jerome Sale, Oxford United commentator on BBC Oxford. Really? Yes. In Kidlington, just outside Oxford. <laughs> so you, this was a after-school thing or an so, after-college thing? Uh, so it was after school. It's about 18, 19 probably. And I, I was playing for my local pub team, uh, the Royal Oak, Royal Madrid, uh, 2007 <laughs> Division One champions, I think. We've yeah. got to get that in. Yeah, crucial. Still have the trophy. <laughs> <Not really. laughs> you think I'm joking? <laughs> My sporting career is not much to write home about. I'm not having that. And by chance, maybe Camilla will make you a cake. Well, yeah, I, I think she should. And uh, by chance, Jerome's team and a couple of the other guys from Radio Oxford, who were called Maroon Five, obviously, obviously, uh, were a goalkeeper short for a game. And they said, oh, we just saw you play, you free, because, you know, it's, as happens in five-a-side leagues, teams, you know, you get, end Merging. up playing. Yeah, you end up playing for sort of three or four teams on the night if you've got the time to do so. Um, and I, my chance, I, you know, chatting afterwards, and um, I said, oh, you know, I'd love to see how it works one day. And he said, oh, there's a work experience project, you know, do apply. And got lucky enough to get on that, and then started doing odd bits and pieces at Radio Oxford, and working with a sports team on a Saturday, and enjoying it. Yeah, thinking this is quite good actually. Yeah, it's, yeah. and it's and again, it's having always listened to sports on the radio and listened to Oxford United on the radio, um, which is you know has been a mixed blessing. It has to be said, better in ups and years. downs. Ups and downs. Yeah. Um, possibly downs and ups, <laughs> uh, which, whichever way. But you're, you're still looking. with them. That's absolutely. the most. Important. Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. And then working on a Saturday afternoon and, and seeing that and understanding the process and that, and then going out and occasionally doing reports at you know lower league games for them on the phone, which is you know the first time you do it, terrifying is you know and the first time you, yeah I'm sure when you first broadcast it is the most terrifying thing in the world yeah you think you know what like, am I doing I'm opening what? the microphone I've got to speak and I've also got to maybe press a few buttons as well yeah exactly and you've got to sort of make some sort of sense <clears throat> um, and yeah it was and I think local radio is the most brilliant place to learn anything about radio um, because there's you have to do everything you have to do everything <laughs> and that, that is the thing you, you know one day you might be um, you know, reporting on a football match the next day you might be riding the faders for a program that's being broadcast from the a local event you know the, ne- the next night you could be answering the phones for a phone in and so you sort of get to see everything mm-hmm. and you'll never and as long as you're willing to do these things then you learn so much and it's what a uh, a privilege to have seen that. Do um, you think you would have uh, got in touch with them if you hadn't met Jerome on a football pitch? Possibly. Yeah. I, I'd done a day's work experience there years before when I was at school, and so I'd seen a little bit then. Um, and but possibly, possibly not. Mm. And it just gave you that friendly face, got yeah. you in the door, and and then you say it was like as I said, but they obviously liked what you were doing and you were good at what you were doing because they kept asking you back and you you were doing more and more. And then what stage was it that did you then decide, right, okay, I would really like to do this as a, as a full-time job and, and head to London? Well, I, got, I was at university studying sports journalism, uh, which I was at for a little while. Uh, but then I was working at Radio Oxford at weekends. So going back from Brighton to Radio Oxford every weekend or most weekends. And sort of thought, I'm learning more doing this. And I've got this, you know, a little bit of an opportunity. And if, you know, if it doesn't 
happen for whatever reason I can always go back and study again and mm. that's fine it's also quite disruptive isn't it going yeah. down and coming back for the weekend exactly and so you're not sort of doing either thing mm. right really mm. and so I left university after a term and thought yeah I can go back but let's see what happens and you know kept working just taking any shift that was thrown mm. my way whatever it was you know be it one morning being there for the breakfast program at 5.30 the ne- and then being there late that night for a sports program whatever you just yeah. do it because yeah. you know you enjoy it and it's fun and yeah. it's whatever else and then after a few years of, I think about three or four years um, applied for a job at Five Live Sport and was fortunate enough to, to get that um, do you remember that interview yeah <laughs> was it terrifying yeah completely because you because so <laughs> you really wanted it you as really well. want the job and so you think you know and this and and that was at Television Centre in London where and then so worked there for a year before moving up to Manchester uh, so this was all pre-cricket. All this pre-cricket. was just sort of uh, you were working at Five Live. We were talking about this before we hit record. You were working on the sports program, yeah. Which is you compared it to busier than an air traffic control it's centre. A Saturday afternoon in the Five Live sports studio is an extraordinary place because you have, you know, and you you, you know this for, from some normal radio show. You'll have maybe three faders that aren't you. You might have the travel person, the news person, and the jingle fader, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Uh, so, you, but on a Saturday sport, you'll have probably thirty faders, and so the person that has to—I I was never let loose anywhere near that. That's for the engineers, but you know. Uh, so you were doing getting all the sources up, were you? Yeah, and yeah. so when my role there was when a goal went in on a Saturday afternoon at wherever, the per, the reporter at the ground would buzz the line. You would answer it and say, "Yes, what happened?" And they'll say penalty to Aston Villa and then you will shout down the chain of command and say there's been a penalty to Aston Villa and then the head producer will shout to the presenter or whatever game or the commentator or whatever game and that process normally typically would last 20 seconds between so you have to get that right and you can't say my mistake <laughs> wasn't a goal <laughs> <laughs> you sort of you have to get that right that's quite important and, and it's, and, were there ever times when you went uh, oh misheard whoops yeah confused yes. teams <laughs> you know teams that, that in one's mind always merge and so you know you think <laughs> so and so's got another and you know, hold on a minute um, but, but it's high pressure and is it I imagine it's not very calm environment is no it? but it's it has to be calm to a degree because mm. if it's too chaotic it won't work mm. um, and but everyone listening was, has got no idea it's like a swan swimming isn't it yeah with the le- no, uh, duck whatever you know yeah. the analogy some sort of <laughs> some sort floating of bird, bird thing. thing yeah exactly <laughs> it is like that and it has to be but there, there, there are there are moments when things will go wrong and you know someone will the failure will open a reporter won't be there because you know their line's dropped off a technical problem whatever um, but it is chaotic and but then that's what makes it brilliant I think yeah and also amazing experience so when you were talking about the World Cup on Sunday mm. and you are frantically working out all <laughs> yeah. these rules about what what uh, super over what's going on it, all that experience before is, is brilliant yeah a huge, it, it makes such a difference and it gives you the a little bit of an idea if you've worked in the studio about what people that are back at base are going through and dealing with when you're not in the studio, and that's really important because a lot of the time you you might do one or the other, and actually knowing the challenges that might be going on back at base yeah. are um quite is a well worth a skill well worth knowing. And the first one of the first cricket games. I did from the stu- worked on from the studio was a game in Dubai between England and Pakistan at the start of 2012, 
and the first day of it, and it was the first day when I started working, or the first tour when I'd started working cricket. So I'd booked all the things like the broadcast lines and the accreditation and the hotels. And about halfway through the first day, there was the sort of horrible beep, which and the clunk where you know the lines gone and it's a horrible feeling because there is no time does not go slower than when there's nothing when the needle's not wagging there is nothing worse and and it's incredibly jarring as a listener isn't it when yeah. you're when you're at home and it, even if you're not listening to the radio but it stops you look up and you think what's happened something's gone wrong something <laughs> is wrong here and and so that halfway through that then we heard that noise and it couldn't get the line up and there's just complete you know what what do we do so we get them up on the mobile phone and they're talking through that and that's fine and then eventually they commentate for two hours on Skype on an iPad and so you've got Jeffrey Boycott in his mid-70s looking suspiciously at this piece of technology and sort of shouting into it very loudly does it work? does it work? can anybody hear me? Um, and but having had the experience of knowing that things you know things do go wrong you sort of you, and, and the frustration is a lot of the time from our our point of view is we will work so hard to get the lines in crystal clear quality but then when something's a bit patchy and scratchy you'll get hundreds of emails saying oh it's like the good old days I love it it's brilliant I wish it was like this more and you think if you knew if you knew and and so the actual cricket job that you're Mm. doing now so how long have you been doing that then so for about seven years okay and that is an incredible job because mm. you go all over the world. Yeah. How do your family feel about that? Because you guess you're not home very often. Not a, a lot of the time. Not. I mean, you're home for this summer. It's amazing. Which is brilliant. So we're here. We're here in the summer, and then during the winter we'll be. I mean, we we haven't got the rights for a lot of overseas tours at the moment, um, as as can be the way it sort of goes in the cycles a bit. Um, but you know, we are hugely lucky to see see the world. Um, I mean, one of the things is you you see you go to wonderful places and end up seeing cricket grounds and the inside of minibuses as you travel between you know so you, you know yeah. it, so it's, it's not maybe as it's no time for hanging out on the beach no um, uh, but then but then you're seeing amazing places and cultures and everything else and it is such a privilege it really is cricket since because it goes around eight or nine countries around the world sort of commonwealth countries um all drive on the left hand side which means if you have a higher car Brilliant. That's my kind of place. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, amazing. So, so much easier. And the kit that you have to take. Yeah. So do you have to take all the kit with you or is yes. that someone else doing that? No, we take the kit with us, um, normally just in a suitcase. Uh, so you'll have normally one big suitcase with all the kit. So not oh, not as much as I imagined. I thought you would be just a nightmare going through customs. It dep- it, well, it depends on the scale of the the trip so a big major overseas tour you might take more than but typically no it's typically one one and a half suitcases okay. worth but I bet there's some people in the team who take pack loads of stuff anyway there's yeah. always somebody isn't yeah, there yeah. who's got the biggest suitcase yeah, yeah absolutely <laughs> um, um, but most of the time it's not a vast amount and a lot of the infrastructure you do is actually done at the other end so when you get there okay. and trying to work establish a way of communicating back to mm-hmm. the UK and uh there seems to be quite a lot of downtime because just ju- judging by the whole music stuff that you're doing with Daggers and the, the videos, are, I mean, they have become a bit of a viral sensation. <laughs> how, did, how did that come about? Just boredom? Waiting? Yeah, so a lot of, a lot of t- basically, a lot of time sitting in cars and sharing lifts because between matches, you know, tomorrow we, we travel down to Taunton for the Women's Ashes Test match and then... And you all go together? Uh, a lot of the time because it, you know, it's easier. It's, it's cheaper. It's cheaper and you're carrying kit and, you know, it's, you might as well. And we found ourselves singing along to something in the car on the way from, I think it was Birmingham to Cardiff a few years ago. 
and um so i was imagining you know somewhere in the caribbean no. you know windows down but no it was just on the m5 no, it was. yeah it was yeah, <laughs> literally um and we were singing along to something and i think sending a video to i think it may have been a member of his family um and you know to say you know, just a sort of hello this is what we're up to and whatever we're a bit bored we're, we're a bit singing. bored yeah and then we watched it back and we're like Oh, that's quite good. That's quite fun. <laughs> so we did, we did a couple more. And I, I, at the start of just doing this sort of lip sync karaoke, I sort of thought, people are going to just be, you see, who are you to you pair of losers? But, but people are always very nice and sort of encouraging of it. And yeah, it, I've seen people going, Henry, when is the next one? Yeah. So we've not done one for a while. We've not done one for about six months. You, people are waiting. Yeah. So Particularly, you know, after the high, we've got the high of the final, the win. Life is a bit quiet now. Yeah. You need to get one out. Yeah, we do. Down we to do. Taunton. Is he, is he coming down to Taunton? He, he'll be in Taunton. He didn't get to Taunton until late at night uh, tomorrow. But that's all right. We'll... Um, got to think of something. Have you we'll got think... any ideas, any songs that you're going to be coming up with? Well, that's... It's... Uh, you know, we might put it to a public poll, but... <laughs> I love the one. Was it I Can Tina Turner? Oh, Proud Mary. Yeah, yeah. loved that. What a, what a song. It's got a speaking bit at the start. <laughs> yes. Which is quite but difficult. But you got it right. Yeah, yeah. Take if, the if, if anyone hasn't seen that, they really need to see that. <laughs> but, so there is quite a lot of hanging around and, yeah, and, and having fun. Yeah, because I think, as, as with all of these things, when when you with the programme that we work on, when you're on air for however many hours a day, eight hours a day, you can't get away with not getting on with each other. Because if somebody's not pulling their weight or being a good teammate, the whole thing won't work. And in, in the same way as any team, if people don't get on and don't actually fight each other's corner... It's not going to work. So you have to sort of enjoy each other's company. Mm. And we're, you know, I'm not saying that every moment is a laugh. And, it, it, you know, we will have times when we disagree with things, all of us. And we'll have times where we argue. And there's times of high stress and things don't work. And you'll, you know, we, we had a game at uh, the World T20 a couple of years ago where I think two minutes before we went to air, we had no connection back to London or Salford. Mm. And, you know, it's, and you're knackered and, you know, and it's really stressful. And you, you, you think, you feel I've, I've, you know... I'm fed up of all I've, these people. Yeah, and We've spent too long together. And you think, they've sent us out here and I can't even get it to work. And you feel like you've completely failed and let everyone down. But, I mean, we did manage to get it work, mm. get it to work eventually because you know, there tends to be a way, be it, you know, on Skype, on an iPad, whatever, there tends to be a way you can make things work. Um, but we do have fun and we, we, we get on with one another most of the time. You uh, can tell that, though, yeah. from listening, I really think. Well, I hope so. Yeah. And as I say, I don't think, you know, if people didn't get on, it wouldn't work. Mm, mm. Uh, it has to sound fun yeah. because it's a long time to be broadcasting <laughs> if you don't like each other. I'm really interested in as well the fact that you have come up from, uh, you know, we've heard about Five Live and, and then working your way up, but also you are doing some commentating mm-hmm. and reporting. And it does seem that a lot of the commentators now, there is a real trend for ex-players. Do you think it's hard for people coming in who want to be on air, who aren't, an ex-England player, but they just love the sport and they're a great commentator. Is it a harder battle now? I think there is... If you look through history of cricket commentary, some of the great names of, of, of commentary, Henry Blofeld, Christopher Martin Jenkins, never played cricket. I mean, Blofeld sort of, sort of did. For, he very nearly played for England by virtue of being the last man standing on the tour. <laughs> but, he, you know, he wasn't a sort of 50 test matches sort of guy. Um, but at the moment we have... A real mix. We've got um, uh, Simon Mann, who hasn't played international cricket, uh, a guy called Daniel Norcross, who started quite recently, who 
came to cricket commentary, gave up his job because he wanted to do it. And he set up his own cricket broadcast called Test Match Sofa, where he commentated from his sofa on England matches. And turns out he was very good at it. <laughs> and lo and behold, you know... Got discovered that and way. And now he, he, you know, he was commentating on the World Cup final on Sunday. And So there are ways in. You don't yeah. have to be... And, and I think the other thing always to remember is that the, the vast majority of people that are listening also aren't international players. So if you are the person that may be asking the expert the sort of questions fans want to know and mm. the why of what something, uh, how something's happening then actually that has its own role as well. You, you, need to, you need to know what you're describing, but you don't necessarily need to say, be the person that can... That, that, I mean, I wouldn't for a moment say that, that if you've played for England, you therefore are speaking in a way where you're assuming that everybody listening knows everything. But if you are mm. commentating and you're commentating from a fan's point of view, you will ask things from a fan's point of view and you will describe things from a fan's point of view, which helps create the sort of mm. blend of voices and backgrounds and everything else that helps to make it an interesting and varied listen mm. I think so it's getting a mix in a way yeah. isn't it yeah and, and as part of the job do you you know the England team really well do you, do you get to, to to talk to them much or is it are you, is there a separation there's it depends there, there's I mean there's a bit of a separation um, in the sense that you will speak to them at press conferences you you might have a chat if you you know are waiting for a press conference to start, okay. and they're you're not hanging out in the same hotel bars when you're when I mean a lot of the time they will be in hotel. You know they will be in different hotels. Some of the time you're in the same hotel, um, but a lot of the time they will be under in team meetings under potential curfews. Not all the time that that, that goes without saying, but um, and so then I think the age there was an age when the media and the players all hung out together every night. But I think that's slightly changed and probably changed to a degree because of the professionalism of sport and nowadays because of social media and things if a player's seen having a pint of beer mm. before the night mm. before a game mm. it doesn't look good mm. and, and whatever else and so um, it's okay after you've won the World Cup that's well, exactly okay. or it might just be that they don't like me are they? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but we, yeah. we, everyone else in the team have been hanging out with you yeah. but they haven't been telling you <laughs> exactly but so you know, but then where is everybody yeah I know exactly right <laughs> but there'll be a lot of our guys who, who work with us were in the England team two or three years ago and so they will you know if they will be if you're standing on the outfield there will be lots of people that are still chatting and still talking to the current team and I think that as has been shown in the papers in the last couple of days with with the World Cup win, the the team are very nice, and a lot of the time, sports stars aren't necessarily that approachable, mm-hmm. but they are a nice group of guys, and that that can't be forgotten. And I think cricket has the joy of being just a little bit more under the radar than perhaps football is. If you are, uh, David Beckham would be too sort of extreme an example, mm-hmm. perhaps, but. If you are Harry Kane, you can't walk down the street without getting stopped. Mm. If you're the England cricket captain, you probably can to more of a de- more of an extent. Yeah. And although maybe not, maybe not anymore. <laughs> that may change. But no, you're right. You're, and you're so right. I think that you know they they are a very nice group of people and from a very diverse background. Mm. And the in the post match press conference after the World Cup final, England captain Owen Morgan was because he was born in Ireland and he was asked. Did England have the luck of the Irish on their side today? And you can imagine the reporter thought this is a really good question. And it is quite a good question. It's quite a fun question. He, but he responded with, I think we had 
Al are on our side. I think we had everyone on our side and our team is a reflection of the culture that we live in of a mix of backgrounds and a mix of people all working towards a common goal. And Good answer. It's a brilliant answer. I'm not sure he would... It wouldn't be an answer that the media manager... Because I don't think that he would have expected that question. Yeah. But actually, that's almost the, the, the most real answer out of anything he probably would have said because mm. it's the one that caught him off guard. Mm. As a good interview question should do. Mm. It shouldn't just... You don't want to, people to regurgitate things that, mm. that you know, mm. they're expecting. But also, it was quite revealing about what they are like and actually the culture of cricket I think which is you know in, in the main nice yes I say that now when the ashes starts against Australia <laughs> I know. that might change that's coming up <laughs> that is coming up and and you know you've seen so many matches forgetting Sunday and forgetting the guitar on Thursday but have, there must have been some really memorable times for you yeah. in England or somewhere else in the world yeah. I think that up until Sunday <laughs> The most memorable, again at Lords and again at World Cup final, was the Women's World Cup final in 2017. Um, because we've worked really hard over the time that I've been working for, for the cricket department and before that to really embrace women's cricket because you know we are passionate about it and think it's right to as, as much as anything. And so we'd followed the, the England's women's team doing full commentary on all their series from when I mean, it's only what five years ago that they were playing a test match against India at a ground called Wormsley, which is in the Buckinghamshire countryside, in a field. It is, you know, it's a beautiful setting. Yeah. But it is in a field. Only uh, five years ago. Only five years ago, and you know, commentating from a tent, a gazebo that was put up, and the internet that came into the site came via a satellite dish because it was the only way they could get any signal to the outside world, basically. And it, it, it's gone from that yeah. to. It, uh, at the time, three years later, Lords being sold out and England winning the World Cup against India again, and it felt it, it felt like at that moment that the efforts that had been put in sometimes you know when you're broadcasting from a place that doesn't have the infrastructure, it's a lot more work because you have to fight to get everything in to make it work, and it felt like such a brilliant sort of I don't know crescendo to all of the efforts that had, and that suddenly the world was seeing what we had wanted them to see for so long, yeah. and. And you know, there's no doubt about it that my boss and his decision to introduce female commentators to the team, which at times was would have at the, at the start would have been hugely controversial, um, has made a huge difference to how women's cricket is perceived mm. and and the gender balances within sports, the sports commentary and and also the interest in the women's game will have changed and. A small part of a great wider picture where things like the Women's Football World Cup recently is suddenly, you know, again, my parents in their Bluetooth headphones watch that, which, you know, which they wouldn't have done previously and they just wouldn't have. And the, the, the fact that, you know, it's, it, you know, I wouldn't remote, remotely say that we were more responsible than anybody else at all because it is a wider thing. But to just be part of that mm. change and that shift and having four Five nieces. There was one born last week. Sorry, Don't forget. Rosie, sorry. Um, you know, it is something that is quite close to my heart and I feel passionate about because I remember a few years ago speaking to my niece, who was five at the time, and asking if she ever played cricket or football at school. And she said, no, those are boys' sports. Yeah. And, think, and it really struck me and I thought, that's terrible. How, you know, even in this very woke age where everybody is sort of trying to fight for equality and fight for equal opportunity in every walk of life, that that was still at the age of five 
a message that had somehow reached her. Mm. Well, my two nine-year-olds, massive football fans and got into the cricket as well in the last couple of days. But, you know, they play football at school, but they do tournaments and it is massive. It's mm. probably bigger than the Bulls yeah. game at the moment here in Oxfordshire. It's huge. Yeah. And my old team, Summertown Stars, oh. I saw there was a there was an article in the Telegraph yeah, yeah. by Jim White not long ago That's about right. that very tournament. Yeah, and, and how it's, and... it's, they just love it and it's so good for them. And mm. they just, you see them, it sounds so ridiculous but you see them growing though but they yeah. do they they getting confident and uh, and loving the team sport and it's, mm. it's just brilliant and that's and that to be to have seen that change and being any sort of a, a, a observer of it as we have been sort of from from within has been a wonderful experience because you see you see such tangible change as well because it has gone from the field in buckinghamshire to lord's cricket ground full yeah Quickly, very quickly, yeah. remarkably quickly, yeah. and now, yeah, our you know, our remit is we will always treat women's internationals in the same way as men's internationals. We will cover them, we will do commentary on them, and you know we're on Thursday the women's Ashes Test starts, and we will treat it exactly the same way as the men's Ashes Test. We will brilliant. And that's, uh, but if, if I sort of have the view if if we don't do that, then why should the why should the audience take it seriously? Mm-hmm. And actually, in the same way as if a band has never played on the radio, then people aren't going to discover them and enjoy them necessarily. And so you have to put it out there. And we know that it's great and it's brilliant entertainment. And these incredible athletes are sort of super potential superstars and becoming more so. But we have to give it the credit it deserves yeah, yeah. by putting it out there. Yeah. And and we're very fortunate in the sense that you know the BBC is not something that is driven purely commercially and so you have to find a sponsor for it. And it's much harder to find a sponsor for something they don't think is going to get quite as many listeners necessarily. But so you have the opportunity in the early days to do things knowing that you're, you're doing them and you don't have to worry about that. Mm. And actually suddenly it becomes something that people do want to get involved in. And now there's full TV coverage and everything. Yeah. And it's brilliant. And we feel a real sense of, I don't know, that the, the game has come a huge distance for all genders. And that's important. Massive. It's vital. Yeah. Absolutely vital. And little did you think when you were playing that five-a-side football game with uh, with Jerome and who got you in the door there a little bit mm. and then you work your way up that you would be covering Women's World Cup and you'd be covering the, the Men's World Cup and the Ashes. If you were, if you were to look back mm. on some big turning points so far, because, you know, yeah. <laughs> not finished yet, um, <laughs> it would be pl- playing five-a-side football but also just loving the sport and uh, meeting any other people that really helped you. I think... It, it it would be as much as anything my my mum was a journalist before she had children and so she was always you know encouraged an inquisitive mind and and actually hard work as, you know as much as because you, you know what teenagers are like you know you have to but actually a lot of times she said just you know go and experience things go and do it and get and so and that sort of attitude I think and you, you I'm sure would agree that just the willing if you're willing to try and willing to do things that you think well I'm not that interested in that mm. but why not let's see what happens and even stepping out your comfort zone sometimes completely and yeah. there will be moments where you think I'm so not qualified for this <laughs> do they know what they're doing <laughs> but uh, you know having a go and backing yourself and trying um, and there will be there, there will be things that don't go right and mm. things that aren't perfect mm. and, and a lot of the time while there is the amazing things that we get to see like Sunday where you've got cakes from the royal family and whatever, whatever there will be 
long days where you're booking flights and booking hotels for people and visas and you know filling out risk assessments and you're thinking you know this this is this is this is a headache and this is pain but you know that it's it's part of it and no no job that anyone does is yeah. going to be all fun and games mm-hmm. because it isn't you've got to do all the hard stuff as you well mm-hmm. um, and what does your mum think about the, the the videos the singing videos and the guitar playing and the traveling all over the world she must miss you when she doesn't see you half the year yeah i mean there's a, a quite a lot of facetime calls where all i can see is the top of her head because she doesn't necessarily <laughs> as we may have established her she and technology like, is not, not great no not so good um but yeah, there are you know there are challenges to missing birthdays and Christmases and you know I'm having lunch with my dad for his birthday day. It's not actually his birthday because I'm away on his birthday, and so there are challenges to that. Yeah. And but they must love the fact that uh, you know they saw you on the big screen with the guitar and they hear you on the radio. Yeah. It must be amazing. It must be really proud. I I, don't, I think the thing that they're most proud of is when I was criticised in the Daily Mail. <laughs> That's the, that's the one cutting they've got on the kitchen court board. <laughs> they were proud of that. What were you criticised for? Um, it, it was uh, there was a tweet that went out that wasn't. And I'm going I'm to say this now. You've got me started. It wasn't actually my responsibility. <laughs> and the accusation was I was lewd and oh, immature. Okay. Guilty. Right. But not in that instance. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but so they. No, I, I think. And that's that's the proudest moment for yeah, them. Yeah, that's that's on the wall. Oh, that's uh, lovely. Um, no, but they, you know, they they're brilliant, and they you know have always encouraged the attitude of just going for it. And yeah. both me and my siblings have always had that sort of message. Just if you're interested in something, just do it and try. And if anyone's listening and they're just desperate for a job like yours and to be with cricket all the time, would you would you give the same advice? Yeah, just yeah. And it could be something as you know, and as I said, my colleague Dan who got into the job that he he left a job working in an office in project management that's a big leap yeah because he he didn't like it and he thought this isn't for me and he had I suppose he had the luxury at the time of you know he could take that chance because he you know for whatever reason he didn't you know didn't need to worry at that stage if he didn't work for three months say he could try and sit on his sofa yeah and and talk and talk and he thought this is what I want to do and this is how I'm going to try and do it and he did and that's not going to work for everybody of mm. course um, social media helps though, social it? media of course social media makes a massive difference like getting it out there and I think also never being afraid to ask someone for advice because people the amount of people that have given me advice that a countless people have been generous with their time and generous with opportunities and I don't think anyone should ever be afraid of stopping someone and sending them an email or whatever and saying I'm sorry to bother you but mm. I was just wondering, and well, you must learn all the time as well from everyone in the commentary yeah, box. You learn a huge amount mm. just by osmosis, as much as anything. Mm. But if you know, if you want to do something, you're interested in something, try and find out about it because mm. you know you, there is the there is the chance to do things, and it may be that on the path to whatever you think that you were really interested in, you find something that you love even more mm. and that really interests you, and certainly that. I found things that I never knew I'd be fascinated in that I absolutely love and you know, the technicals behind how things work or yeah. or whatever else and you know there's if you give something a go the worst that will happen is that you get some experience from it and you learn something mm. you may not get immediately to where you want to be and you know I 
certainly had interviews for jobs that I didn't get. Absolutely, and you know, things that you knockbacks that you think is, you know, is it ever going to really is it going to happen? Mm. Um, and but you just got to keep plugging away, yeah, haven't you? Have, keep plugging away, yeah. and if you enjoy it, keep trying. Yeah. And there are you know there are days that you, know, you think oh, this is a waste of time, and why am I bothering? But there are if you're I think the most important thing is that if you're you're nice and you work hard mm. and try mm. because if you don't try and you don't give it a go, mm. then you will never. You know, and also nobody is going to ever be good immediately at whatever they do. If you pick up a bat and ball, you're not going to be Ben Stokes in half an hour, and you know what, whatever else. And uh, uh, you can pick up a strange guitar that you're not too sure about. You know, I'm, one I'm, made of a cricket bat or whatever, which way it was, and and, 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 and I play it very badly. <laughs> <laughs> so what is next then? So we've got Taunton on Thursday, yep. uh, and a whole summer here in the UK. Yes. Which is fab. Yeah. So we've got, it feels almost like we've reached the end of one chapter Mm. with the World Cup, which has been, which started in May, which seems extraordinary now in mid to late July. Um, And it's just concluded. And then we've got the women's ashes finishes. And the day after that finishes, the men's ashes starts. Um, And that goes until mid to late September. And then after that, um, it's the women's ashes. Who is going to win? It either uh, women's ashes it hasn't started terribly well it has to be said <laughs> Australia have won every single game including a, a devastating defeat for England at Canterbury that was rather cruelly called the Canterbury fail which um, okay uh, but things could change they could do mm-hmm. um, <laughs> it needs to quite quickly <laughs> um, but England of course are world champions so they, they could right. be um, what about the men's ashes well, it's going to be interesting because we've got the sandpaper stuff which to, to those that may not know, 16 months or so ago, March of 2018, two Australian players were, or three Australian players were suspended for tampering with the ball yeah. with sandpaper they brought on the pitch in a game in South Africa. And obviously England-Australia rivalry is vast and quite uh, vociferous. And I think it's quite likely it's going to be quite a noisy and as lovely as the cricket world is, mm. and it is, mm. There are, I think, quite likely to be. A, it's going to be quite a tough ride for those those that were involved in that incident. Yeah. Particularly those early matches in mm. the, the first game at Edgbaston in Birmingham. You think I imagine is there'll be a lot of hardware stores are going to be fresh out of sandpaper. I think. Like, <laughs> Don't say that. It's, well, one very clever company last year when Australia played a one-day match in England. The first time they'd played since that incident were handing out those those cards people hold in the crowd that say four and six. Yeah, yeah. They were handing them out made of sandpaper <laughs> last year. There's money to be made. There out is of money this. to be made. Yeah. yeah. And there was a guy in Bristol during the World Cup dressed as a huge sheet of sandpaper. <laughs> that must have been hot. Yeah. I mean, that, Ooh, that's some. Sort imagine of, sitting down. I know. Chafing. Yeah. I know, the exfoliation has <laughs> been extraordinary. <laughs> but so we. It's, so there's loads to look forward yeah, there's to. Huge amounts to look forward to, and cricket is a sport that never stops because. Mm. The English summer will finish, and then they will go and play somewhere else. And we will we'll be covering it from we'll, either from back home or from overseas. And we then do a lot of domestic competitions like the Australian 2020 League and then the Indian Premier League as well, which we do. So there's always cricket on. Mm. It is relentless. Mm. Um, and, and the thing that I think the most exciting thing of the last few days is getting texts from people who never would watch cricket ever just not interested just not interested in the slightest and suddenly they are tuned in yeah. and they're 
keyed into it. It's a good time to be a part of it. It is. Henry, thank you so much for talking to me about what wonderful job you have and how you've got there and yeah, all the twists and turns and you know, I'm looking forward to that next video with Daggers. <laughs> I think we should give you a set list, maybe. Yeah. And also for the guitar, because I think that's surely another thing that's going to be... It's just going to be a thing. It's Yeah, well, it might be. Yeah. yeah well. <laughs> look forward to that. Thank you so much for popping by. My pleasure. Thank you so much to Henry for taking the time on his only day off to talk to me. Uh, thank you for listening as well. Thank you to Megan for producing the show again. Uh, we've done seven months of the podcast now. Half of those, Megan's produced from under a mosquito net in South America. She's back now and she needs to recover. Uh, we're going to have a bit of a rest over the summer. Uh, we hope to be back very soon. You can follow us on Twitter at Where Go Right. You can contact us there as well if you want to sponsor the podcast. That would be an amazing summer holiday present. I was going to say I'm off for a lie down, but I've just realised I have other jobs to do and I have three children to look after for the next six weeks. So unlikely, but uh, when we recover, we'll see you soon.